0: Hello, everyone this is marty miller regional master instructor for the national academy of sports medicine we are here for our weekly installment of the master instructor roundtable and as always i'm here with my dear friend miss wendy bats
1: hey marty how are you
0: i'm great how's everything going with you today wendy
1: hey sun's out woke up this morning it's a great day
0: <laughs> absolutely and we're just going to keep that great day going With part three of the, uh, I think we have amazing feedback on part one and two so far, we're going to go into now program design for the hip complex. So if if this is new, the first time you're jumping on, you can go back and look at part one and part two, where we went through the anatomy and the assessments and, you know, some common things that you see people doing in the gyms. And today, now we're going to finish the series up with part three, really talking about how you would design programs based on what we want to do with the hip complex. I
1: think you bring up some great points. And, you know, I do believe that part one and part two are super important because it'll make part three make more sense if you haven't watched it. However, one of the common questions I know Marty and I get very often is, you know, with the hip because of the complexity that oftentimes you can see multiple compensations. And at that point, you've got this huge checklist of compensations. However, you only have an hour to program you know, with that client. So what are the specific things to point out? Like, how do you know which to address first? And we're hoping that after this last uh, section, so part three, you guys will feel a little more comfortable and confident in your programming, especially around the hip. And uh, I'm I'm excited to get started.
0: Absolutely. So as we move here into our next slide, we'll kind of give the outline of what this session is going to be like. So Wendy, if you want to kind of go maybe through the key highlights of what we're going to cover and then we'll dive into it.
1: Absolutely. So kind of as I mentioned, you know, there are so many common dysfunctions that you can see. And especially during, you know, what we've just been through with a lot of people in a seated position and on their computers more uh, technology has become, you know, kind of a part of our, you know, our DNA these days that we start to see more and more common dysfunctions. And so, You know, it's not uncommon to have someone have a low bar or low back arch and an excessive forward lean um, or a posterior pelvic tilt and an excessive forward lean. So so because, you know, we're focusing solely on the hip, we're going to kind of show you how you can blend some of this together and talk about the importance on, you know, what should you focus on and why. So we're going to go over and give you guys specifically one program that we put together that we hope you find valuable. And uh, yeah, I'm ready to dive on in.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Awesome. So we'll move forward here. And then we'll, like Wendy said, we'll jump right into the content. So clearly this is an NESM uh, session. So we're always going to anchor it back to the model. So, and we're always going to have started with our assessment process. And something tells me in our key takeaways, we may see that assessment <laughs> process again. I'm just guessing maybe number two or three. I on don't the know. list.
1: Maybe, maybe.
0: Uh, I swear <laughs> we're not lazy. We, we were willing to change the slides, but sometimes, you know, you just leave well enough alone. So obviously there would have been an assessment process prior to what we're doing. And again, if you go back to session one and two, you'll see the process that we always take, but you know, going back to the DNA of NASM is we got to identify those overactive muscles. And then step one would be to bring out the foam rolling and do that self myofascial rolling techniques.
1: Yeah, these are the primaries, especially for the low back arch that you mentioned. And, and when we're talking about inhibiting or foam rolling, you know, oftentimes we get asked, can you use other things besides a foam roll? And the answer to that is absolutely. So there is a lot of there are the vibration foam rollers. There's the uh, percussion therapy that you could do with the, you know, with the guns, such as a Hypervolt. Um, you know, you can also spend time with that because what we're trying to do is just inhibit that muscle by increasing, you know, some some, you know, make it a little more pliable, if you will. So when we start into the static stretches that you'll see next, you're going to have a greater um, outcome because we're, we're really trying to, you know, get those overactive muscles, you know, back to their optimal length. So therefore it's going to move an ideal range of motion. So, so again, we're focusing on static stretching because we're trying to realign that muscle. That's important because it's not that you want to static stretch random muscles. It's very important that you identify based on your compensations, what you're seeing. So therefore you can program appropriately. Yep.
0: And it always comes back to, as I already talked about the assessment, when you see these movement compensations, it's, you know, key for us as instructors to know what muscles are causing the muscles to move into that and then what muscles allow it. And then there, your programming is based off of that. So it's, I know it sounds simple, but it really is in a sense that simple of, (laughs) what movements dysfunction are we seeing, what's causing it, what's allowing it, and then you attack it appropriately. And and
1: one thing before we even move forward, I do wanna mention as we go through these muscles, you know, I know that anatomy can be very stressful for people that are starting in this industry. And just as a reminder, NASM has a solutions table that you can find on nasm.org or you may already have in your materials and in the textbook that will help you. So the big key truly is to identify what you're seeing out of proper alignment. Even if it's a small deviation and you notice it, just check mark it, because then you can refer to your text or that solutions table that will help you understand where did Marty and I find this stuff? Like, how did you know? Is it because you've been doing this forever? A, yes, and B, because we also use the material until it started to become more of a second nature to us.
0: Yeah. And I think, Wendy, you know, going back to when we see these compensations, I know this happens a lot when we're teaching live, which hopefully we'll get back to that at some point. (laughs) The the question or when we see it even posted here virtually, the question is, well, what if it's just a little bit? And we've always said, if you see it, you see it doesn't matter the magnitude of how much you see it a a small anterior tilt versus significant anterior tilt that I'm not worried about the severity of it because maybe it's small, but it would be trending towards maybe more significant. But either way, we're still going to attack that the same way with those movement compensations.
1: And that's a great point, because as someone gets tired, and especially when you're working them out in a session, we're working prime movers. And if you're focusing a lot on the muscles that are already in an overactive state, you may actually be feeding into those compensations as well. And to your point, Marty, I mean, even if it's slight, you're only having them do five, you know, five repetitions or so per view that you're looking at. So you can only imagine after a 60-minute session that, you know, how, how g- much greater that could be unless you really focus on inhibiting and lengthening the overactive muscles.
0: Yeah, and let alone if you load the person or if you have them move <laughs> at higher speed, you know, you're gonna, you might see even more of these compensations. And that's, again, why we follow the steps of the model. Yes, very important. Just
1: follow the model. I mean, exactly. I, I, I mean, you know, we can,
0: we can shut the webinar down now. We're done. Just follow I know. The model.
1: <laughs> exactly. Mic drop. So exactly. so these, these are the actual muscles in the low back arch that were overactive. And, and then, as you can see, see now on the underactive slide, remember, just as a recap, and I know that we say this often, but I just want to stress, if a muscle is causing that compensation, that's what we're terming as overactive. Those are the muscles that moved us into that compensation. However, on the other side of the joint, there had to be muscles that were in a lengthened state that are weaker that allowed that compensation to happen. And so it's super important not to focus on stretching those, but to strengthen those. And so when we go in and after you've lengthened the muscles that were identified as overactive, now you wanna think about the muscles that caused those um, compensations, such as the glute max, the hamstrings and the intrinsic core stabilizers. And so, those you know, if you really focus your programming on those specific areas it, right from the start, when when you're looking at the template, it would go as you as you guys are going down, you're going to see, you know, activation or core. This is where that would fit into that template, and um, and we're going to show you some some examples of things that you can do for these muscles specifically.
0: Yeah, and it's so important to address this because again, this isn't really the focus of this session, but you know, we can always just throw in some little extra tidbits is if these muscles aren't back to their normal length tension relationships, you change what happens at the joint. You also change the firing pattern of the central nervous system. So don't think of this just as a muscle issue. It's all three components of the human movement system. And yeah, they might be strong. They might have great cardio. They might be able to look a certain way, but that doesn't mean that they're moving optimally and you add this over time, somebody not moving optimally for long periods of time, something's going to happen at some point. It may not happen for three months, six months or five years potentially, but it's so important to understand that by addressing this, you're fixing more than just the length tension relationships of the muscle. You're changing the joint structure and how the joint's going to function as well as the nervous system as well.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, just to piggyback off of that, you know, just think, you know, think about the hips, really are kind of the powerhouse because your glutes are involved and there's so many muscles that are, you know, (laughs) that play an important role in keeping your, your hips in neutral. And, and as the the whole point that we're trying to realign these, these actual joints and areas is because if there are compensations at one joint, it's actually going to then have to borrow, if you will, muscles from another area of of focus um, that isn't a prime mover in order to help that movement occur. So even if you're doing a squat, if you've got an anterior pelvic tilt, your glutes aren't firing the way that they're intended to fire. So therefore, your hamstrings and erectors have to help that movement, which then can lead to low back, you know, um, discomfort. It can also lead to you know strains in your hamstrings if you're not careful. So it's it's very very important to I think the hips especially are such an important region to focus on because if you can realign that correctly then you're definitely taking big strides to long-term you know success whether it is they came with low back pain or you know they had some issues even at their knee so
0: yep absolutely well, so, you know, so, what, so what you're saying the glutes are important
1: They are important you know they're important for many ways you know so mm-hmm. aesthetically yes, but then also functionally even more important. <laughs>
0: Let's get that. Let's just get that out of the way, out of the
1: way. But you know, truth hurts. I'm just going to say it. I said it, it's recorded. That'll be with me forever. But, yes, uh, you know, and, and we often bring up the anterior pelvic tilt because I, I personally notice that more anterior pelvic tilt than posterior with my clients. However, more and more, by the way, people are seated and like, you know, whether they're working on their couch, or they're in a, a chair that may not be appropriate for their posture, I'm starting to actually on a, on a trending standpoint, unfortunately, see more posterior pelvic tilts, which when I first started, I would say, well, I only see that mainly in like more of my elderly folks, but now I'm starting to see it more and more, unfortunately, with some of the younger, younger individuals coming
0: in as well. Well, don't they say now sitting is the new smoking? Oh geez. That's, that's well, I mean, there's a lot to be said for that. Smoking Mm -hmm. is still bad. We're saying that. So smoking is now equal. And sitting, right? So they're both (laughs) not not saying pick up one and trade it for the other, of course. Right, right. We're looking for positive changes. And so
1: when we talk about a posterior tilt, I mean, really, when you're looking at someone, this is an example of someone in a seated position. And if you think about over time and you're sitting for multiple hours a day, how this can become, you know, more, um, more of the new you, unfortunately. However, just if you're looking at someone doing an overhead squat, you're going to notice that, you know, there is a natural lumbar you know, curve and this is actually now becoming more flat. And so you're just going to see like the back and the glutes kind of run into each other and that they don't even have a normal curve in their back, that they're actually taking their hips and going underneath. And so that posterior pelvic tilt on a, on a lateral view, you're just going to notice more of a flat back. And if you see that, that's when you would note it. And of course, then you're going to look at what would cause that compensation, which would be the overactive muscles of the hamstrings, the adductor magnus, the rectus abdominis, as well as the external obliques. And so spend time, obviously, foam rolling and then statically stretching these areas to help try to get those back into proper alignment before you go into focusing on the underactive muscles
0: listed here. And I think the key thing and why we finished this series with a program design is you can identify the movement compensations all you want and you can foam roll and stretch the right things. But if you don't feed the body the right resistance exercises and whether that's stabilization training, balance training, whatever that is, I'm just using resistance, meaning once we get out of the mobility and the you know, uh, flexibility component is you can feed right back into the same compensation that you just tried to get out of. And people all of a sudden do a bunch of flutter kicks. So they do a bunch of crunches and they do... And they almost lose sight of that part of the training session. They kind of identified in the flexibility part. And then all of a sudden I'm like, well, why did you pick those exercises to do from resistance? And they're like, well, because, and I'm like, yeah, but you just fed right back into that same movement compensation. So in essence, you might be making them stronger. In essence, taking that much more time if you ever want to get them out of it. So that's why it's so important to look at the whole continuum. And make sure that everything that you do targets the movement compensation that you're trying to fix
1: well and i do want to point out i mean marty that's a i think that's an, a, a very important point along with too your exercise selection so when mm-hmm. you just look at this um unfortunately i've seen this so i just want to point it out because I've seen it. So there might be other people that are doing it. They're like, Oh, okay. I see that the overactive muscle is erectus abdominis. However, my clients want to do crunches or they want to do certain things like that. We're not saying that you can't because remember a muscle that's overactive is still weak. It's just, you want to gain proper alignment. And if you focus on activating the underactive muscles first and your client's choice is some sort of ab work, then we're not saying don't do that. However, You want to be very strategic in the muscle selection or the exercise selection that you're choosing because, you know, the exercise and I I don't know what the technical name of it is. But, you know, when you're balancing on your glutes and you lean back and your legs are up and you bring them together, you know, I'm talking about it's kind of like they're in a boat, Mm -hmm. um, boat position and they crunch in and, and kick out. That's actually feeding into a posterior pelvic tilt because of what's happening at the spine. So most people can't keep, you know, their back in a a flat position and they're, they're super weak. And so that's one of the reasons why we want to focus on the stabilizers first and working in stabilization first to get proper, you know, um, activation in these little muscles that are protecting the vertebrae before you start to add that crunching or movement of flexion and extension into the spine. So. So I wanted to pinpoint that because yep. I've had people say this is one of my client's favorite exercise. So if that is the case, then at that point, you'll have to either program around it because we want to, as you say, give them exercises that they need, but you want to give them what they want. But we also want to make sure that you can say, you know what, this is a fantastic exercise. Let's do a few things before we add that into your programming. However, I am going to start bringing it in, in just the next few sessions or however it is that you've, basically tell them to stop the role and that you want to do other things first.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think it comes down to when you are truly focused on the model with all your clients, it's so much easier to have the conversation on why either temporarily or why you have better choices. And I have found just personally, I have much better success removing certain things. Cause they're like, Oh, I had no idea, but you have something that will work just as bad, just as good or better. Like for me, if somebody liked their crunches, I would like to do like a standing crunch. So I could keep them. I use the rope. I keep their pelvis in neutral. Now they're doing the top part, but as they go back, they have to stabilize. So I kind of tricked them into keeping their pelvis in neutral instead of activating their hip flexors, et cetera. But we would be able to have that conversation going out. Remember how you sit all day. Remember how your low back hurts. You get that pinching in your hip and, you know, talking about how we're going to get what the other muscles in their core are. So, you know, you'll find your personality, you'll find the way you like to talk to it, but the, Wendy you made a fabulous point, and you know, what I want to try to say concurrently is, don't just let that part of the workout go without thinking strategically on what should I or should I not do it, as Wendy said, and how to sprinkle it in, bring it in, or come up with another alternative that is just better for them biomechanically.
1: So there was uh, Daniel asked if it was a V set. So yes, it's like a component of a V set and you yes. know everyone calls everything different. And Marty, to your point, I mean, when you look at this slide right here, and the example that you gave, if somebody does want to do that, I, I often do that one as well, especially if they have a posterior pelvic tilt and that's mm-hmm. something they want to do. And it's mainly primarily because if you see as an underactive muscle, it's the erectors. If you slightly kind of start adding those back into by giving them a little bit of of some extension, then you are focusing on that specific yeah. underactive area as well. However, they don't have to know that. So instead of doing something like a back extension that focuses primarily on that, you are doing that because they're going to have to resist, like to your point. And it's, I think that's a that's a that's a great one for this. So if you have a client, then just just so you know, if they want to do abs, let them do it. However, try to find a a, a good solution or alternative, such as the one Marty just mentioned.
0: Awesome. I know, right? A little That's, bit of
1: something is, equals a lot of a lot of great things. Is, is
0: that <laughs> three three compliments you've given me in one session I so know, far? You know,
1: I don't even know what's happening to You're me. You're far
0: am, too nice today, Wendy.
1: I guess again, maybe it's the beautiful day, but. Um, awesome. Now this is an this is another compensation. So these are the three primary ones that you're going to see. I mean, we've also talked and actually done in a complete webinar on if they have an asymmetrical shift and because that's a beast within itself because certain things are happening on one side versus the other, we chose these primary or prime these as the primary ones that we wanted to focus on today because This one specifically is often paired with one of the other two we just discussed. And so when we talk about an excessive forward lean, you can see the example here with this individual, what ends up happening is you show someone how to squat and they look perfect when they're going through and doing it. However, all of a sudden they start lacking range of motion in their ankles and it's almost like the ankles lock down their shin. And then they're like, but look how low I can continue to go. And so they bend more at the hip. So it kind of looks like they're praising you if you're looking at them from an anterior view. And so at that point, there's a lot of restrictions that could be going on, a lot of weaknesses that are allowing that. However, this if you do see someone that doesn't really have an anterior tilt, they don't really have a posterior tilt. And you do see this one on its own. Another follow-up assessment that you can do to really find out is it happening at the hip or is it being caused by the foot and ankle complex would be doing the modified assessment, which is where you take a plate or a small board and you put it underneath the heels to give them a little more dorsiflexion. And if it cleans up, then you know the primary area to focus on would be more of the foot and ankle complex. However, if it still exists, even if it's slight to what we mentioned in the very beginning, then, you know, it could be the foot and ankle and the hip. So just just want to kind of get you guys thinking that that's another assessment that you can do to really try to pinpoint where is this happen, like what's causing this specifically and how do you know what really where to focus on. But if you see the excessive forward lean and you look at the overactive muscles, that's why I, we have stated the soleus and gastroc. It's because there could be limitations in the ankle complex. And then, of course, the hip flexor complex. I mean, you can look at how how shortened that hip flexor is right there. So it shouldn't be a shock that you see that as well as the ab like the abdominal complex. But remember, when something's happening and it's it's super overactive or tight at one side, the opposing side really needs to be lengthened in order to try to reestablish the uh, the link tension relationships and, and patterning of proper movement.
0: And it comes down to, we'll get this into the program design, it's quant- quality of movement, not quantity of movement. So, you know, again, we can work within limited ranges after we've cleaned them up and get them to move better. So, you know, people always ask, well, how far should I squat? So we will discuss that. But, you know, we're always looking for quality movement, not, qu- you know, quantity of movement. Yes. If
1: they start breaking the five kinetic chain checkpoints, you need to regress. Um, whatever exercise it is, or make sure that they understand too what you're asking them to do. And you know we, we've mentioned that uh, very we mentioned that often, but remember what's second nature to us because these are movements we do every single day. If someone's brand new to the gym, they really may not understand and you may have to show, tell and do more than once just to make sure that they have, an understanding of these movements because, you know, if you're having them do a squat to row, which is one of Marty and I's favorite, it's a complex movement pattern. And so that's a lot for an individual to think about. And so sometimes instead of it being so complex in the beginning, just break it up into many patterns. So therefore you can start to combine some of these movements that you know long-term is going to help them. And then it'll also allow you to program other things as you start to come like do your combine or your combination of exercises.
0: Absolutely.
1: So big question here, Marty. Yes. you get this. I get this. So my clients, their feet turn out, they have an anterior pelvic tilt and they have an excessive forward lean and their arms fall forward. Very common with so many people that we see at the gym. And so when you've got all of this stuff going on, how do you know where do you start? Like, what do you, what do you do with all this?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. So I look at it a couple different ways. One, if the client has turned themselves over to allowing me to create the program as I see fit, what I mean by that is they're like, whatever you need me to do, whether, again, we're now speaking to you in our terms, corrective exercise stabilization, I'm not as worried because I'm not going to be loading them or having them do running and jumping. Sometimes simultaneously, I'll have a client that they're like, well, I'm going to go play basketball. I'm going to go do my traditional weight training. So you better give me something, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it, but I'm going to go do this. So I look at those two separate ways. If it's with a client that is patient and understands that there's a process and not in a rush, the model is going to take care of it for me. So depending on how I do their workout splits, whether it's half hour workouts versus an hour workout, you know, I'll have to look at my training total body, upper body, lower body but I'll look at what has the most impact on their movement. Is it a foot and ankle issue? Is it a lumbo-pelvic hip complex issue? Is it the asymmetrical shift? But simultaneously, I'm always trying to educate them to get their homework done before they see me, as well as maybe they do some homework throughout the week. And homework would be starting them off with foam rolling and the static stretching, maybe just two or three. Don't bombard them with a bunch of stuff right off the bat, remember this is a process then they might do a couple stabilization or activation techniques. So I'll kind of slowly build them into a full program because if I'm doing stabilization training, I don't need everything moving perfectly right away because as I go through the exercise, I'm going to pick the ones that they're capable of doing. I'm going to pick the range of motion that they're capable of. And over a two, three, four week period of time, I'm going to see that nice progressive improvement. Now, for those that work with people in uh, different big box or small box where it's a boutique studio where there's a higher intensity or dealing with athletes, sometimes you really got to focus in on, okay, they're going to go run, jump, do some heavy lifting. What is the absolute most important for the event that they're about to go do? So if it's, you know, if they're doing a heavy chest day and they haven't fully bought into the whole model yet, I'm going to have to do something for their upper body, whatever that is, lats, shoulder, pack, et cetera. Or if they're going to go play basketball, and I know they have horrific biomechanics of their foot and ankle, I've got to clean that up right away because if their arms fall forward a little bit, that's not going to be as important while they're playing basketball. So those are the kind of the, the two avenues that I take, knowing that whatever I'm giving them is better than what they came in before they trained with me. I'm going to try to get them through the process as quick as possible. But again, there's that human element where it's not going to happen overnight.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm going to kind of piggyback off of that because to, to your point, you're going to focus on the things that you see if you look at your solutions table or if you're looking through the book. What are the most common compen- like overactive muscles in the compensations that you noted? And you're going to see so many similarities. So, for example, if somebody has an anterior pelvic tilt, well, you know that the hip flexors are overactive and then they you also check mark that they had an excessive forward lean. What is one of the common or common overactive muscles in that would be the hip flexor complex. So, you know, that it would be very important to really focus on stretching the hip flexors because those are two common or two big compensations that you noted. And by really trying to open up the hips, you can, you know, start to really chop you know, chop away at those two specific compensations just by stretching one central area. And the same thing, you've got to think about what caused those. Well, look at the hamstrings. Okay, the hamstrings are lengthened in both of those. So it would be very, very good for you to focus on hamstrings and glutes if you noted those specific compensations. And so I think as you guys start to become more accustomed to seeing these, you're going to see common, common commonalities in different compensations. And you're like, oh, okay, the arms fell forward. There was a low back arch. The lats are going to be extremely important. Because if you focus on the lats, it can increase the anterior pelvic tilt and drop your arms forward if you see those compensations. So you want to lengthen that one particular area. And so if if you're if you're not sure, one thing that you can do is think, okay, look at your solutions table, look at look at your check sheet on your assessment results and then think, okay. just circle if you need to. Like every time you do something, even if you print out a thousand solutions table until you get used to it, circle, okay, this is here, this is here, this is here, and then highlight the ones that are most common. It's okay to do that on the back end. You're not doing it in front of your client, and that's how you're going to learn. So so one thing to think of is look at what's what's common. And then as you can see here, the core Obviously, the core is going to be weaker, so that's why we focus in stabilization phase one, doing um, basically uh, things that are going to help protect the spine by getting all approximately twenty-nine muscles to fire, pro- you know, appropriately before you start to increase movement of the spine. So. So don't let it get so overwhelming. And I think that's one of the reasons Marty and I love to do these every single week is because we're trying to take, you know, people are like, it seems so complicated. Well, it's only complicated if you make it complicated. And we're trying to say that, you know well, there is some time you have to spend on it. But the more time you spend up front, the easier that your life is going to be as a trainer, because you're going to see so many similarities and a lot of people that you're going to work with every single
0: day. And Wendy, I think that's why you and I absolutely love the squat to row because no matter what compensation that somebody would have, it's fixing it. You're keeping their feet straight. You're teaching them how to hinge, which means there's going to be more core stabilization and glute activation as they, you know, triple flexion, the triple extension, shoulder retraction, depression. You're getting almost every movement pattern corrected with one exercise. That's why it's always a go-to for us. It's not that we're lazy in our program design. It's just... If I had to pick one that is gonna help clean up a lot of things, regardless of the movement pattern, a squat to row is hard to beat. Doesn't mean we can't change it up, but back to the point is, you've gotta do something very quick. On the integration part, a squat to row is a fabulous exercise to begin with.
1: One of my favorites, (laughs) I know yours too. Oh,
0: Marty, I don't know if you've
1: ever seen this slide before.
0: No, can you explain I've never seen it.
1: I, you know, I would love to. I got so. it. I got it. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I'll be
0: happy to take it. So sure. I was just like a mess around. with you. So clearly <laughs> we put this in every, every single time, because this is the DNA of the education that you studied and chose to, you know, to learn is we have to get people to move well, whether you use the corrective exercise continuum or start with stabilization endurance, it's the quality of the movement, earn the right to move well, then we progress into the three different levels of strength one we we absolutely say it is necessary as a strength endurance the other two could be dependent on the goals of the client so now you're going to move well under load and then the last one is power So whatever level that person can do you're going to get them to move up well at higher speeds so it's going to be hard to argue that that should be the natural progression of anybody whether you're dealing with elite athletes someone who's never worked out before youth weight loss weight gain whatever hypertrophy, anything that you wanna do, the answer is there in that progressive manner. Now, you can really have fun how you program this after someone's gone through the model, of course. But the reason it's there is we've gotta work on the muscular endurance that holds our posture in place once we can correct that posture. Then we have to add the component, the different muscle fiber types where we activate the type two muscle fibers, fatigue them, then go right into the endurance so we can maintain posture for prolonged periods of time after we've exerted ourselves. And then finally, moving explosively to the level that the person can control. So hence why we put the slide in there every time. It's our recipe, it's our cookbook or our toolbox. And you're just going to see it every single time that we do a presentation, I have a feeling.
1: Pretty close. I, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to disagree with you because every time we're like, should we take it out? We're like, no, nope, we should absolutely should not. And and, you know, I have seen on our Facebook page. I've seen, you know, people you know make comments like, it, you know, the, the model is very, you know, static and like, you know, I can't be creative. And, and I just want to really emphasize that the model is there to help guide you. Your, create, your creativity comes from your program and exercise selection. And there are certain kind of quote parameters that we give you to think about, because what is the adaptation? What is the goal that you're trying to achieve long term? And hopefully, as we've talked about, you have to be stable. If you're not stable, you're not going to get as strong. If you're not not as strong, you're not going to get as powerful. And we're not saying you're not going to get powerful. We're not going to get strong. It's just you really want to focus on the stabilizers to engage. You want to focus on proper alignment, because if your muscles are firing optimally, you are going to have better outcome when you start lifting. And if you do phase one, which people keep saying phase one is boring, well, then obviously you want to go back and listen to some of our webinars because it's super challenging. The tempo and the exercise selection really is going to help you build the right program. And especially when we're focusing on the hip, because we need all of those little muscles to work together you know, optimally in order to be able to produce the force that the hips are able to, you know, that you're able to produce just in that one region alone. And so take the time, focus on building your foundation, then work on strength. And if you've never truly followed the model, when you're noticing the compensations, if you start to look at your solutions table or really identify certain things that you're seeing and and then do it correctly, you will be amazed at how much more you can lift and how much more like how you can increase even your speed when you actually get to that level. Um, It is very eye opening for some. So, yeah, totally. (laughs) Yes. So then let's go into looking at an example that we provided. So, you know, it's easy to talk about it. But if you really don't see an example of how we can put this together, this is something that can be done easily with a 60 minute session or less. And oftentimes if people are doing a 45 minute session, that's fine as well. There are things that you can do By telling your client, listen, I've showed you how to foam roll. When you come into the gym, what I want you to do is drop your stuff off and then come grab a foam roller and begin rolling. And, you know, and let them know what areas you want them to roll. And as long as you see them do it, don't just believe them. You want to see them do it. Then it just takes that much time out of it where you're not just sitting there, you know, sitting there watching them roll around. And so we've done this meaning I've done this, Marty's done this. We do follow the tempos, so I can 100% guarantee you can get this done in 60, you know, 60 minutes. If you feel like you can't, then you're probably talking too much or providing too much rest. You just have to think, what is the ultimate goal? This one, for example, is weight loss. So this client would do a vertical load, which means after they get done with their their, um, rolling and stretching, we would immediately get into it and work down through it and then repeat the sections. So one of the first things, again, with compensations uh, with an excessive forward lean and a low back arch, we're going to foam roll the calves, the lats, and the TFL. Again, when you're rolling, you're rolling about an inch per second. You're going to sit and marinate on those areas that are tender. And if everything is tender, try to tell them to find, you know, the, the maybe top two areas. And then you give them homework. Hey, I want you to do this at home if you can. It's only going to help increase the chances of us, you know, this should feel like a massage. And as soon as I say that to people, they're like, but it hurts so much. I'm like, that's an indication of how much you need it because it really should feel good. And so when clients are like it's painful, instead of just making them suffer through the pain, provide two foam rollers and put them side by side. Because remember, that will actually decrease the amount of pressure you're putting on that one specific area because you do want them to be able to relax into the roller. And so don't make it like, okay, they're at a nine or 10 and that should be okay because it should not. You want to really try to say where your pain is. I want you to feel like a max maybe. You know, seven, we want to get that down to a four if we can and see how they feel when you explain it that way or provide another implement side by side. Um, And then, of course, I'll I'll just take warm up, Marty. But then, of course, we would then for the areas that we rolled, we would go into static stretching. So once again, we we rolled those areas where we have identified them as being overactive. And so we're going to have them immediately go into a calf stretch holding for 20 to 30 seconds per side. So it's not one side or the other, it's both sides, then go into a lat stretch and then a kneeling hip flexor stretch. They could also do that standing if you don't want them to do a kneeling, but you really want to focus on getting more length into the hip flexor com- um, uh, complex. Cause as, as you visually think about it, remember those hips are going forward and both the excessive lane and low back arch. And then, you know, we've in- added the dynamic stretching So if your clients have done that, we want to still work on increasing now, hopefully better range of motion through the hips. So doing a walking lunge is still going to give us a little more um, stretch through the hip flexor complex and then adding the rotation can also because think about when we do a kneeling hip flexor stretch, you start out with a posterior tilt, a slight lean forward and we say slight. Remember, you only have approximately 15 degrees of hip extension, so it's not like the huge lunge forward. And then if you want to add even more, you can lift that arm up slightly, flex and then rotate. So when you're doing that, think about that movement pattern just in the kneeling hip flexor. So if we start to now do it as a dynamic stretch, we're emphasizing that even more, but just with a movement movement. Um, of a, a, a moderate tempo. They're not going fast, they're not going super slow. It's just a comfortable tempo that they can control without compensation.
0: Awesome, great explanation. So I'll just jump into the activation here. So there's a lot of choices that you could do, but at activation, you know, we're looking at getting things fired up, getting the body ready for what the demands that are coming afterwards. So when we look at a plank, if you do a plank well, you're gonna have that neutral spine position. You're going to be neutral at the elbows driving into the floor to get that serratus anterior activated you're going to be neutral to your uh, head and neck so now you get all the muscles in the cervical spine activated into neutral then we're going to also do our triple extension we're going to squeeze the glutes squeeze the quads and hold that for a few seconds and then slowly lower and then drive back up we don't always want someone holding those planks for a minute or two minutes we want that Can you control the form down and can you drive back up into it? So there's other exercises you could do, but you'll see here, we have two sets of 12 repetitions at that four, two, one tempo, where a lot of people just try to standardly hold that plank. Then, Mm -hmm. sorry, if there's a background noise, I apologize. Then with the anterior tip, this is a muscle that's going to be weak in the excessive forward lean. The ankle is not getting closer together. The foot and the shin are not, coming into dorsiflexion. So we want to fire up that anterior tib. You can do this with bands. You can do it a couple different ways, but again, two sets, 12 reps at that four, two, one tempo. And then finally, another one of our favorite exercises is just a nice floor bridge. We want them to open up their shoulder blades. We like it with the palms up, neutral spine, drive through the glutes and get that glute activated. So just three great exercises to choose from.
1: Yes, I'm a big, big fan of those uh, bridges, and and I've said this in multiple webinars. I will say it at this this one as well. Uh, I do bridges, even if somebody is going into power. Sometimes I warm them up just to make sure they're activated and ready to roll for the stuff that we're going to be doing throughout their workout. I always try sure. to think of it on a corrective side. What do they need to have dialed in? And that, to me, is very important. And so. You'll see the bridges, especially when Marty and I design programs very, very often, especially if they're going to be in phase one.
0: And these can be bridge variations, of course, but we just classify it as a floor bridge.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you can do them on the the ball. You can do them any way that you want. The big thing is, is just to make sure that the hamstrings are not, you know, what they feel and that it truly is coming from going into hip extension to get those glutes to fire the way that they should. And then, of course, you'll see next where we have plyometric and SAQ or also termed now as skill development. We're going to now start to add movement. And so they're going to do a squat jump with a stabilization hold. And remember, you're holding that position at the landing for three to five seconds. And that is where you're going to realign them. So if you notice that maybe they have, you know, too much of a lean, because remember, an excessive forward lean is what they want to do. You want to try to put them back into the parallel lines. And remember on a squat, we're looking for parallel lines. So therefore we have optimal uh, sharing of the weight distribution between the ankles, the knee, and the hip. So that's why we really focus on those, those lines. So look at them from a lateral view. If they're leaning too far forward, try to get them more upright and then repeat. And they're going to repeat this for anywhere from six to 12 or however many reps you want them to do and make sure each and every time they come out of hip flexion, because oftentimes I see this in the gym. People are doing these and they're still bent a little bit at the hips. So they look kind of like froggy or like frogger back in the day. And so you want to fully extend into triple extension and midair and then control their landing on the way down. Hold that and then reposition and, and repeat. So you're retraining, as Marty said earlier. Remember, it's not just about the muscles. It's retraining your body and your brain to say, oh, this is what you want me to do, not what I'm currently seeing as comfortable we're retraining the body to start to to work the way that it's intended to work and so if you're going to ask myself and i know marty you will agree the way that we would program this if you were doing this with a client again foam rolling out of the way static stretching is already done i would go ahead and do all the walking lunges and then be done with that then they would go if you look at the, the template they would go plank anterior tib floor bridge then the squat jump with stabilization hold and then go back and repeat plank anterior tib floor bridge and and stable or squat with a stabilization hold the reason why we do that is because think of the activation and the skill development as the extended warm up to prepare them for the resistance portion coming coming up and the resistance again are we're focusing primarily on the actual muscle you know, like the, the prime movers of like the chest or whatever, still on an unstable, so still phase one. However, if you go through and you activate your core, you work on some balance if, and then add some plyo in there, this is a great, great way just to um, to help with those two compensations. And then as soon as that's done and you're done with your second you know, or third, depending on if you're doing one to three sets, as soon as you're done with that, then go into the resistance and do that as a vertical load as well. And I think if you do that, you're going to start to see, hey, their body's starting to move way better because you've actually foam rolled what needed to be foam rolled or stretched what needed to be stretched, activated the weaker muscles, and now you're getting them into the actual workout.
0: Couldn't agree more. So I'll (laughs) I'll jump in and take the resistance. So now that the body's ready to go, now we look at a lot of what you would consider the client would have come in for traditionally, right? Like the body of the exercise program. So here you'll see standing cable chest press. We chose that because we do want to work the core. So instead of putting them against a fixed object, we wanted to work on that stabilization. So you can tell it's a staggered stance because we have triple extension. So their back foot, they would have the foot straight driving into the ground, knee straight, tighten up that quad and glute in that neutral spine position and they would go into their chest press at that 421 tempo into that full extension, get that little bit of protraction and get great total body even though it's a chest exercise you're getting a lot of core stability, a lot of hip activation as well. Now, if you're going to do two sets, you would stagger your stance, one foot in front of the other and people will have a preference, trust me. So, they might find one harder than the other. If you're doing three sets, sometimes what I'll do is I'll make them do two of the three sets with the foot that they don't want in front of them. So that way it becomes <laughs> more comfortable, or you can split up six reps on each one, depending if you're nicer than I am. Then we go into the cable single leg squat to row. It could be a traditional squat to row, but this person maybe is a little bit more advanced. So, you're gonna do the two sets of 12 on each leg, each arm. So it would just, we didn't put it in there twice. It's just kind of given that if you're doing a single leg or single arm, you're gonna do it on both sides. So with that cable single leg squat to row, the weight will help them get in and out of that squat, but there's gonna be a lot of opportunity for them to move in the frontal or transverse plane. So they really have to dial it in and you're gonna get a lot of activation from the foot all the way up. And as they come into extension and pull, now you're fighting that uh, the desire for them to want to lean forward. You're teaching them how to squat. The load in front of them will help them squat and sit back a little bit. So there's the great carry over there in the squat. And as they come up, they're strengthening that extension movement. So that way they are better squatters moving forward. Then clearly with the posterior pelvic tilt, we have to strengthen the hamstring complex. So we chose a ball hamstring curl. Two sets of 12 reps, again, four, two, one tempo. And then finally a step up to balance. You pick the step height that's appropriate for them to control. Generally you won't go toward 90 or above 90 at some point, but feel free to start at a lower range. As I said with the squat earlier, you'd move to the depth that somebody can control. So you would drive up, bring the opposite leg into a balanced position, hold for two seconds and then lower down for four. And as Wendy said, if I could set the gym up the way I'd want, I would do the standing cable chest press right into the cable single leg squat to row, right into the ball hamstring curl, right into step up to balance, and then I would repeat.
1: Yes. Um, I, I personally love this workout. Um, <laughs> but, you, you know, when you, when you do the step up to balance, and then you're going to see the um, single leg bicep curl. Uh, client's choice gun show. Okay. To put in there, but as Marty mentioned, you know, do the resistance as, as a vertical load. And, and if a client needs rest, please, please give it to them because their body is learning, you know, how to, how to accept and activate and work in a way maybe they're not used to. And so this was just one example of somebody that wanted to lose weight, these were maybe two compensations. And, and so, you know, you're, you're good to go there. And then Marty, do you want to, well, I guess I can take the cool down, but if you uh, think about this, you know, the cool down is often overlooked and it's extremely important. And the whole purpose of the cool down is to restore proper length back into the muscles that you use throughout the program or that are commonly overactive in the assessments that you found. So it's okay. And as you can see, we did, go ahead and foam roll the exact same muscles that we did in the warm up because we know that they're overactive plus we did use them throughout the workout and then of course we would do the the um the static stretches for those as well. Now if you want to add cardio in there because you want to cool them down with cardio, totally fine to do as well. However, then the cardio should go uh, before the actual self myofascial technique that you're doing. So before you're foam rolling, get them to come down because then you're gonna put them on the floor and you're hopefully gonna restore everything as well. Like you don't wanna foam roll and stretch and then say, okay, get back onto the treadmill and cool down because that's ideally not what we would like to see. So hopefully this makes more sense now that we kind of put it into a program and walked you through it because this is amazing for two compensations just by utilizing okay or looking at the muscles that you know can really uh you know cause both
0: it's a so great we, workout let me guess who designed <laughs> I
1: don't know so we did as we did as a team. Yes, we're we're 10 players there. So of if we course. go to if we go to the next slide, why don't you Marty bring us home for the key takeaways. Yes.
0: Shockingly know the muscles of the joints you're targeting. We we address this that if you're working on a posterior tilt, you gotta have a program that addresses that. Anterior tilt, arms fall forward, whatever that is. We were talking most about a pelvic, pelvic hip complex, but understand what the goal is and what joints and muscles you need to make sure you address. Assessment shocking number two on the list are key. That's gonna help you know what muscles and joints you're targeting. Then we have to work on these areas to, yes, give them an amazing workout, but we want to be giving them amazing workout while we're getting them to move better or keeping them moving well, depending on what phase of training they're in. Then we want to focus on the proper phase of training, whether it's stability, strength, or power, because you have to have the right sets, reps, and tempos in there to elicit the physiological response that you're trying to target and all that will be your plan so if you do that you'll have a fabulous plan and we can always say have fun as well right
1: always have fun because remember that's what builds rapport that's what keeps the clients coming back and you know don't get into too technicals like when you're working out with your clients you know i don't start counting but really focus on the rep you know or the the tempo as well as the rep ranges focus on your exercise selection and if you do that you guys are golden and so hopefully you know um Hopefully you guys will will uh and you know use this, see if it works with your clients. I know that it worked for mine, so I'm hoping that it, it can also work for yours. And uh Marty, I think there were a couple questions. Um, okay. Let's go ahead what and do see we if we can I don't know. Let me look here. Um let's see. Okay. I know that there was people asking about recordings. Yes. And you can also find them on the NASM Facebook page under video. If you guys want to go there or you can find us on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. podcast. Um, want to throw that out there. Uh, let's see. Uh, what, let's see. When a client has many compensations, how do you choose find the ones or the ones that are um, impacting more of their movement to start working on those first? So basically, hopefully I answered this one when i'll take this because i think i did answer it before so i'm just gonna just kind of give another quick review and summary when you do it like i said you're either going to start to see commonalities in by looking at the solutions table or really thinking about the muscles that are causing and allowing those Try to look at the ones that are similar. What are the ones, for example, that we just showed you with the excessive lean and the anterior tilt? You know, the hip flexors were a big one. And you know, on, a, on an activation side, the glutes and the hamstrings, those are two big ones. And so really kind of just, just start, start to play around with your solutions table. Start circling muscles that you see commonly overactive or commonly underactive. And so in whether you highlight them in different colors, that will be fine too. It's just, you really just have to practice with it and then just be smart in your programming. And you know that those are the ones, if you're seeing a person two or three times a week, if, they're, if you're seeing them three times, maybe two times a week, you're going to focus on the ones that are very common and the ones that maybe aren't so common you could do on a different day or sprinkle those in throughout. But if you start to focus on the big ones that can do multiple things, you're going to see a tremendous cleanup by the time each and every week that they come in. So when you reassess them, hopefully – those compensations have either minimized or, or are already cleaned up by the time that you reassess them. So hopefully that helped. All right, let's take another question. Let's see. Um, sorry, I know we have a, our, there we go. All right, Marty, I'll, you want to go ahead and take that one?
0: Sure. So when you say ab complex, uh, can be shortened, but yes, still weakened. Are you meaning that iliopsoas with uh, the TFL and rectus femoris? So that when we say ab complex, we're looking at the deep intrinsic core stabilizers and/or the rectus abdominis, internal oblique, external oblique, primarily. Obviously, there's muscles on the uh, deeper multi, 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 multifidus. Sorry, that was hard to say transverse <laughs> abdominis. But I lump them into one group. The muscles you list there, the hip flexor complex, they are not part of the abdominal complex. They have of an effect on the abdominal complex, but they're not abdominal muscles. So when we say that those muscles could be overactive, yes, the rectus abdominis can be in a chronically shortened position. You know, I always call it that human cashew position. The external oblique can also cause that. So this is where a lot of times you see people do the stability ball stretch where you're leaning over backwards to try to lengthen out the rectus abdominis and the external oblique. So those muscles can become chronically shortened as well. So I hope I answered that.
1: Great. I don't know if there are any other.
0: SMR. Uh, there's one Wait. about. Yep. There you go. All
1: right. What density foam roller do you recommend? Oh, this is a great one. So it really depends on your clients, and remember, every company makes them different colors. However, on average, you're going to notice that there are the white ones, and the white ones are really, really—they're soft, and they're not as dense as like the blue or black, and so. And like I said, different companies have different colors. However, the usually the the softest is white, then it'll go blue and then black uh, or it'll tell you. And then you can get into, you know, the the uh, like a, a grid or something that actually has a PVC pipe that doesn't break down as easy. Now, with the white one, it's going to be softer. So a client can then absorb that. Uh, that type of, of density that they're able to relax. And so you want to just give the client what they can what, what they can handle and what they can relax on. So if, you know, I don't usually use the white ones unless someone has never rolled before because they do break down very, very easily. However, if I give them a blue or a black and they can't relax whatsoever on them, then that's too much. And therefore it's defeating the purpose of them having to roll to begin with. And so it really is depending on the client of what they can handle. Um, you know, again, the vibration ones I'm a big fan of, but the actual roller itself is pretty, de- it's really hard. And so, you know, the vibration sometimes takes some of the pain away because they're focusing on the vibration and the body's accepting that as well. Um, so so you really, it's hard to say, but uh, just remember if you are going to start with the white ones, which I, I really suggest everyone have available, you know, give, give some, some options in your, (laughs) in your, in your rolling technique. And then, but if you don't have that, then just at least have two. So again, if you need to put them side by side to think about weight distribution, you have that available so they can relax.
0: Awesome. Well, I know we're at the top of the hour already. Wendy, if you can believe that. So why don't we leave them with our contact information? Cause sometimes we can't get to all the questions, but we'll be happy to answer them. If you hit us up on email.
1: Yes. So you guys can find me um, on Instagram at wendy.bats13 or you can email me directly at wendy.bats at nasm.org.
0: And then my information you'll see pop up here. My Instagram is dr.martymiller72 and then my email is marty.miller at nasm.org. So Wendy, thank you so much. This was an awesome series. I'm just going to say that's my opinion. So I think that, uh, hopefully we'll get all that great feedback so and thank you to everyone that joined us today and we look forward to seeing you for another really fun topic next thursday thank you so much